0: Welcome to the Film Fans Podcast, the podcast from movie fans, for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlavy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Hello, everybody. You yeah, know, it is Christmas time. It is that time of year. We are in December now, and uh, we have an excellent show in store for you. We'll, of course, cover the goings on in the box office. Uh, we are also going to cover... Um, the idea of digitally reanimating actors, uh, a boon for the theater industry. Uh, we will do a Christmas movie preview for you and we will break down the glass onion in our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get it started with the box office. Uh, so this past weekend, saw so, uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever continue to dominate uh 45.6 million it is now up over 367 million dollars domestic box office this movie has been a monster uh Strange World did 12.2 million uh 18.9 million gross overall um this movie had a disappointing uh showing Glass Onion and uh, it's limited run in theaters. Uh, we have, and some of these numbers are a little skewed because it was a holiday weekend. And so we give, it's 9.4 on the weekend, 13.3 um, because it came out along or, or Thanksgiving. So it really made 13.3 million if we include the extended holiday weekend. And that's the same thing for all of these um devotion which came out this weekend 5.9 on the weekend 9 million overall uh the menu did 5.5 on the weekend uh and this one's been out for two weeks and it has made a total of 18.9 million uh rob anything stand out to you in the box office
1: well there's been a lot of uh talk about uh strange world and about disney's recent attempts with animation especially computer animation and it is is not going super well
0: no. for that, but no, part doesn't.
1: of that too, like a lot of the talk around this movie is that, and and it was my experience too. I think I saw a trailer for this movie, yeah. Um, yeah. and and I've been going to movies fairly regularly all year. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was not marketed really at all. Yeah, and I'm not really sure what Disney is doing with their animation department if they have a plan if they're trying to move away from it like what exactly is Mm -hmm. happening because it doesn't seem lately that they've been making a ton of um, super critically successful efforts in animation
0: yeah there were content related issues with strange world but you're right it wasn't promoted almost at all um yeah there was very little out about it and and so there are there are a number of issues at a variety of different levels with uh with strange world that led to it having a very very poor showing uh for a disney animated feature uh especially on a holiday weekend so there's yeah there's a lot to that um it's what stuck out to me is the box office was pretty split um a lot of people went to see movies and they all went to kind of see different movies so i mean obviously wakanda forever took the biggest number by far uh but the rest of it was was pretty well split it it's interesting
1: i mean the other thing you have to bear in mind with these numbers and i think it's impressive um so glass onion we live in uh langston york of pennsylvania mm-hmm. and we two counties there was one theater showing the movie yeah yeah over okay. the way it was out
0: I so think 850 screens if i remember correctly the fact that we
1: made that much on that limited amount of theaters shows that there's definitely um a lot of people interested in this uh franchise
0: yeah and i want to revisit this this whole concept when we go to uh the news about the amazon and the movie and the movie theaters i want to revisit this one cuz i think i think there's a connection here but yeah um, I was impressed with this um, it seemed like with the the variety of movies out that they were that people went to see them um, if yeah all the movies that were in the top five were only have only been out for a week or two with the exception of Wakanda which has been out three weeks but um, people went to see movies and they went to see new movies so yeah Anything else about the box office results?
1: Uh, Not really. Uh, Pretty much what I would have expected, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, we have two movies of note opening uh, this weekend. Um, One is Violent Night. This is, of course, a kind of action slash horror take on uh, a Christmas movie. When a group of mercenaries attacks an estate of wealthy family, Santa Claus must step in to save the day and Christmas. Um, they have been promoting this one. I've seen a bunch of trailers for this one. Uh, David Harbor plays Santa Claus. Beverly D'Angelo of uh, the National Lampoon's Christmas oh. series. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation series is in this one. Uh, John Leguizamo is obviously in this one as well. Uh, our second offering for this week is a very different note, and it is I Heard the Bells. And this is the inspiring story behind the writing of the beloved Christmas Carol and its author, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And this stars uh, Stephen Atherholt and Jonathan Blair and Rachel Day Hughes. Uh, so, Rob, two different christmas related movies uh which one strikes you this week
1: oh i'm intrigued uh by both i want to see both um for different reasons the uh very interesting thing about the i heard the bells movies it's the first production um movie wise through sight and sound which is mm. the theater company based in lancaster county yeah um so I'm I'm real I'm not sure, uh I haven't really read up on how broad the reach of this movie is, like how many screens it's on, um, or anything like that. So I'm interested in seeing if there is an audience for their work beyond uh the stage and what it will look like too in movie form. Um uh in Violent Night, I I really like David Harbour um Stranger Things. Uh he's a hopper in that if you watch that show. Um, he's also the new Hellboy in the Hellboy uh, reincarnation they did recently. Um, I think he's he a pretty also solid...
0: In, he was Alexi in, in Black Widow, which I thought yeah. he was really, yeah. really yeah. good in that role.
1: Yeah, I think he's a really solid actor, and uh, yeah. I I think this movie has potential to be uh, a pretty good Christmas one that I will enjoy. And it's not the answer yet to the one of the movie christmas movie questions that we're going to get to but it might become the answer after I watch it cuz I don't think anyone else in my family will
0: want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I did not have as positive a reaction to Violent Night. Um I keep thinking about I think it was I want to say I think it was uh Ernest Saves Christmas <laughs> where like Santa shows up and they like cast him in a in like a horror christmas movie called uh like (laughs) santa's sleigh and it's like you know it's and he gets all he gets all bent out of shape because someone made a horror movie about christmas and i keep thinking about that whenever i think of this violent Nights movie um yeah it having seen the trailer that i like i think a couple years ago they came out with fat man starring mel gibson like the irony was very thick and heavy in that one. Yeah. This one almost appears to be like a bad shoot 'em up movie. Um, and so yeah, I don't know if I can get around it. There's there's something about it, you know, that just doesn't it do, doesn't uh speak positively to the 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 season of Christmas yeah. in my mind.
1: Yeah, you just reminded me that Fat Man exists and uh I like that
0: movie.
1: <laughs> I think I haven't watched it since the one time I watched it, but yeah, I should watch that again
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, so I would say I am intrigued by by I heard the bells, partially because of the local connection to it, but also just because it's you know it's an interesting it's a, it seems like an interesting story um and one that really hasn't been told. It's kind of a unique and original that we haven't heard, so, yeah, I would say I'm more interested in I heard the bells, okay. Well, that's what we have coming out in the box office. So there's lots of good stuff. Devotion is out. The menu is out. Glass Onion is not going to be out. Um, but you, you snooze, you lose on that one. It'll
1: be on Netflix December 23rd. So you've got about three weeks to wait.
0: Yeah. And of course, Violent Night and I heard the bells. So check out your local theater this weekend. Uh, when you are not watching the U.S., uh, hopefully beat the Netherlands. Hmm. Yes. Yes. But this is not a soccer podcast, and so we if, will move on with our news. If the
1: United States wins the World Cup, this will be a soccer podcast, just <laughs> to warn all of you.
0: <laughs> yes, there <laughs> will be a segment about that, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we get a couple of interesting news stories, and one of them comes on the heels of the success of uh, Wakanda Forever. And it's basically a an editorial uh, about the use of digital recreations of dead actors and this is brought up obviously uh, in relation to uh, Wakanda forever because of the death of Black Panther of course and so what we see as a result is uh, this columnist is making the case that we should not resurrect dead actors Rob you want to start out with this one
1: yeah, so the main premise of the article is that looking at how Black Panther treated uh, Chadwick Boseman's death, he is not digitally in the new movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some scenes of him that were recorded when he was alive in the past, but um, they didn't use CGI or anything to add scenes with him in it. And I thought that it was a very moving, um, touching way to handle things. Uh, we have seen notably in Star Wars there have been uh, scenes with Carrie Fisher um, mm-hmm. Peter King also mm-hmm. uh, as uh, Tarkin was uh, in one of the movies. Um, we've also seen them digitally alter like uh, Mark Hamill to a younger version of himself. Uh, we've seen that in the movies and in the um, couple of the TV shows they've done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And The question is, is it worthwhile to do this slash, is it disrespectful not only to the actors themselves, but to younger uh, actors who are trying to break into the business of acting? Mm -hmm. We're giving roles to people who are no longer actually around. We're limiting the roles for people to try and break in and get established. I do. I also saw that there is a movie in the works, like starring James Dean, but yeah. like digital James Dean. Yeah, which is both like really fascinating and also kind of terrifying. <laughs> and I'm not really sure. Yeah, you know how that will play out. People will re- want to be interested in it, or will they react negatively to it? And that's kind yeah. of the crux of this article. Like, what what will people's ultimate reaction to doing things this way be
0: yeah yeah so i you know as i read this article i found the majority of the arguments by the author here uh, and we'll link to it in the show notes uh not really that compelling uh but one argument i did think was rather compelling so the ones i didn't find um the idea that there won't be room for for other younger actors I don't think all of a sudden Hollywood is going to replace every third or fourth actor with a digital created dead person. I don't think that's a danger of happening. And especially the ones we've seen so far, um, like Carrie Fisher and, and in the other one in star Wars Tarkin uh, made absolute sense, given the product that was being produced and, um, your other options are yes, you could cast a younger actor who kind of looks a little bit similar, but I thought it made sense. But it and both of them were relatively small roles. Now you you are seeing it roll out a little bit more, but I don't think you're about to lose like massive amounts of jobs to digitally recreated dead actors. I just don't. I just don't think that's realistic, um, especially with the amount of money and time it takes to produce those type of things. I don't think that's really the case. Um, The whole inclusion angle I thought was, it was kind of ridiculous. Um, It was just basically like, we're doing great with inclusion. Now, if we go back to pulling up old people, we won't be as inclusive. I'm like, all right. Yeah, that's not an argument. But the one that I do think is, does make some sense. And there is, there is something to it is the idea that, um, it would be that it would somehow tarnish the legacy of the dead actors. Um, And what they're basically, what the author is basically getting at was um, actors would act with a specific style, a specific thing um, and a specific way of doing it. That is just not going to be able to be recreated by using the images and the voice of a person, because somebody else is still going to have to be animating them, essentially. And, what does that do if um you take a great famous actor, put him in a role, and they botch the they botch it so bad. What does that do for the legacy of the actor? And that makes a lot of sense to me because you can absolutely see someone paying all kinds of money um to use, say, um Sean Connery let's say Sean Connery and they just screw up Sean Connery so badly there is a chance that that may affect how people view Sean Connery especially if you haven't watched him in the last 10 years because he wasn't acting Um, I do think that makes a lot of sense Um, but I don't think you can do things like ban like ban it or or like I think that I think it can be something that has its uses is what I think. Yeah, else.
1: I think it's got to be the audience who decides yeah. um, whether it's going to fly or not. And I I actually think maybe the strongest argument in the piece is in relation to some of the de-aging they've done that it's uh, been too far into the uncanny valley field to be comfortable with. Yeah. And I think it could be the same thing with completely having a dead actor play a role. Mm-hmm. With a- generated version of themselves yeah like are, are we ever going to get to the point where that doesn't seem a little strange because yeah. even when you watch the star wars movies with those characters it did seem a little strange yeah watching them and realizing knowing it wasn't really them on the screen
0: yeah and you saw it with, like the first time i remember seeing it was tron legacy where they use de-aging mm-hmm. um on now I'm blanking out on his name. But uh, Jeff Bridges. Daniel. Jeff uh, Bridges. Yeah. Daniel? Jeff. Jeffrey. Whatever.
1: <laughs> whatever. I always get to mixed up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, where they did it on him, and that was in 2010. Um, and it really, you could, I mean, it stuck out. You could see it. It yeah. stuck out. It worked better in the digital space, but it didn't work as well in the real life. So
1: and I, the movie The Irishman that came out on Netflix, yeah. too, did this spot in a in the it was not super well received there either. So yeah. Yeah. I wonder um, if it'll just be the audience reaction to react negatively to this and maybe they won't pursue it. I don't know.
0: Well, and you've seen this in other avenues, like um, everyone gets so fascinated with 3d movies and then everyone kind of realized, you know what, this is kind of a boondoggle and then people stop going to them and then they kind of phase its way out. Or you saw it um, with, now I'm just blanking out what I was just going to say. Um, you see them with other trends, uh, like the the prequel Star Wars movies, where um, there were so heavy CGI because you were just starting to be able to do the digital technology. And they went so heavy on the CGI. And then eventually there was pushback, like, no, we don't want this much CGI. Uh, and so that had to be scaled back as well. So we see this where like people play with new technologies and then you figure out the right balance of how to use them. I think we're going to end up there. Yeah. Yeah, it seems fair. Uh, okay. So that's that one. Uh, the next story we have uh, comes to us and it is Amazon Prime has announced that they are investing in theaters. And by investing in theaters, they are going to be producing 12 to 15 movies starting in 2023 for theater release. And this is quite the uh, quite the announcement. Um, In the wake of this announcement, uh, several of the major theater companies stocks saw major upticks. Uh, I love this news. Uh, yeah
1: consider that when we started the podcast about two years ago the news was that movies were not going to be in the theater anymore and we were going to be streaming everything and we had no idea what the future of actually going to a movie theater would look like if there was a future yeah i remember early on we talked about amazon um starting their own movie production company and how would that work and would they use the theater at all and now they're making this announcement that they're planning on wide theater releases. Mm-hmm. It's been uh, quite a journey in the last two years, to say the least.
0: It really has. Mm-hmm. And I think the most encouraging thing for me is, is that we've seen a, a balance struck. Because, you know, like we were talking about with the last story, you know, everyone went so hardcore into streaming during the pandemic, which made sense. But then there was pushback, especially with the whole Warner Brothers deal where everything got same day releases in 2021. And uh, there was a there was revolt to that because people wanted them to be in theaters. Um, so we, we've seen this coming a little bit from Amazon. Of course, they purchased uh, MGM Studios Um, not that long ago, just a couple of years ago, they acquired MGM studios, which was always going to continue producing movies, but they are releasing some on their own. Um, and so this, this makes for an interesting venture and, and where I, where I bring this up when it comes to, like I mentioned earlier, the glass onion, um, Amazon is doing what I think Netflix should do but isn't because they're too married to their old model um, of everything just being about their streaming platform. Uh, Amazon is reinvesting heavily in putting their content out in theaters because as we've seen, the box office is back. If you make a good movie, people will go to see it. And this whole like one week release for Glass Onion, I think is is not cutting it. And I think they, if they're if they really want to uh, sustain their business, Netflix needs to do something very similar to what Amazon done. However, Amazon's already beaten them to the punch on some of this, and so Amazon's going to come out in the lead. I love this because I feel like we're coming back to a balance where people recognize the value of the movie theater experience and also the money you can make on that side, Well... Not necessarily going away from the the more increased uh, viewership the streaming brings. Yeah, it's
1: really. Um, I think what the pandemic did, and I and we've seen this in all kinds of different areas of life, but mm-hmm. I think for the movie industry, what it really did is fast forwarded the concept of accessibility. Yeah. For, because the days of a movie coming out and it not being available. Uh, to watch for eight months are dead at this point. (laughs) Um, And I I don't know if that would have happened quite as quickly if we had not gone through the situation that we did as a world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I heard something where uh, a lot of things were fast forwarded by about 10 years. Yeah. As a result of 2020. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's been more topsy turvy Uh, but I think we're coming to a place where we're starting to see the future of the industry emerge, which has always been one of the questions that as you were indicating right back from the start of the podcast is where would we end up? And I think we're seeing, we're seeing that shift change where the streaming services have a significant aspect of the revenue and are feeding that back into the theater industry. I think that was definitely something that we're going to be seeing in the future.
1: Yeah, it's exciting times. via a yeah. fan. This is just the uh, the ability to have such a wide variety of things available to you mm-hmm. is something that's unprecedented in the history of movie making. So,
0: yeah, and it was interesting um, that Cineplex CEO. I found this fascinating. Is that he was uh, the Cineplex CEO um, was saying that they are in talks with online players about putting movies in theaters. Now that's an interesting take too. Um, Could we potentially see Amazon or Apple releasing a film only in a specific brands theater? Mm. It's interesting to see theaters go after the movies rather than waiting for the movies to come to them. Essentially. Yeah. Um, That they're going after and actively recruiting some of these places to make sure they have movies in the theaters um there's some fast there's some fascinating thoughts about that i wonder if we would ever see something like that i know there are certain rules like this where i don't know if some of them are still in place like certain films you can only have one theater in a town um has it or mm-hmm. a certain range has it there's still some of those lingering that have uh some of that stuff or of course you have limited releases that are only in certain theaters or bigger It would be interesting to see if you have movies that come out only in like Regals or only in AMC theaters. That would be something else. Okay. Well, that is our news items. Uh, And so um, we're going to move on to our discussion. And with it now being in December, we are now fully immersed in the Christmas season. Uh, We'll give you a Christmas movie preview. And we're going to do this a little bit differently. I have a number of different categories that we're going to talk through. And each of us will give our answers about which Christmas movies most best meet these categories. Um, so how we're going to do this is I will put up the category and then Rob and I will answer. So our first category is what is the Christmas movie that you watched most growing up?
1: So I think there are probably a few, but the one that like immediately comes to mind for me is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm. If Mm. you want to call it a Christmas movie, I do, even though it's only like half an hour TV special. I still consider it to be a movie. Um, If we're talking like a feature-length movie, it'd be It's a Wonderful Life, because we watched that um, growing up as kids uh, with my parents.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I would have probably... And I'm thinking mostly when I was a younger kid. Um, it would be The Grinch, uh, The Grinch Stole Christmas, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, the animated version. I uh, would watch that every single year. It was always on. Um, Love that one. Uh, and then the other one would be one I mentioned earlier, and that would be Ernest Saves Christmas. Uh, that was the classic one I loved as a smaller kid. Um, Love that one and so yeah those would be the ones that i watched most growing up uh next category what is the movie you most look forward to watching every year is there one that stands out it's like i can't wait to watch this movie
1: i think the answer for me is elf and Mm. exciting about that i'm going to see it in a couple days
0: yeah i'm in harrisburg
1: so (laughs) this will be like my first elf event which is exciting but um, I always look forward to watching it um, every year. Usually watch it a couple times a year around Christmas time. I, was, I, I think this is one of Will Ferrell's uh, best roles personally. Um, some people just don't like Will Ferrell, but I think he's fantastic in this movie. Like he is perfect for the character.
0: Yeah. This is where I'll have to also tell you that um, if you haven't watched it yet, um, there's the Netflix series movies that made us and they do one on elf and the making of it and how they were almost scared That Will Ferrell, that did cast Will Ferrell after Old School came out and like, Uh, (laughs) this guy possibly, like, can we have this guy be like this wholesome (laughs) movie for kids? Uh, But it worked out really, really well. Um, So the one I am most look forward to watching every year is Home Alone that for me is that that for me is it like i i most look forward to watching home alone and i have to like strategize it out like when do i want to watch it because i'm only going to watch it once and i have to pick like i don't want to watch it too early because if i watch too early in the season then i'm not quite in the mood yet but if i wait too long then then it feels like i've missed something like i i the anticipation gets it so Picking the right time to watch Home Alone is difficult for me.
1: Yeah, yeah it's. A good, I love that one, too.
0: Yeah. All right. So, uh, one, a Christmas, what Christmas movie uh, do you like, but the rest of your family doesn't?
1: I don't know if they... So, not all my family, I don't think, but most of my family and most of the world. And I, I fully hold my <laughs> up to this and say that... It's embarrassing that I like it and I probably shouldn't. <laughs> but I think it's more that I like Jim Carrey more than anything else. But Jim Carrey's The Grinch. Okay. Uh, is a movie that uh, I guess is a guilty pleasure for me. I did I I like his portrayal. Um I like his attitude mm-hmm. and the humor in the movie. Yeah. Um and most of my family can't stand it. Most of the world can't stand it. So whatever, <laughs> you know, but I, I like watching it. But I usually end up watching it all by myself.
0: See, so. I'm with you. I think Jim Carrey's performance was highly underrated in that movie. I think it was quite good and very Dr. Seuss ish. Mm-hmm. I, I think he really embodied the whole Dr. Seuss vibe. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one.
1: It helps those faces like literally plastic.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, it's so true.
1: He didn't need uh, any makeup to the creepy smile.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, The one that has to be, and I just have to say this because it's, you know, it's, it's my wife and that's Die Hard. (laughs) I love, love, love Die Hard. Die Hard is a Christmas movie and my wife hates it (laughs) Um, and just rolls her eyes at the thought of me watching it. In fact, we had a conversation earlier tonight where she's like, I saw somebody had a t-shirt that said, yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And I thought for a second, I'll get that for you for Christmas, but no, I don't want to give you that point. <laughs> I don't want to further ex- further endorse want- that point of view by yeah. buying that T-shirt. In that, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I gotta watch Die Hard. It's it's yeah.
1: A- if I were to watch Die Hard, it would also be another one I'd probably watch by myself. So
0: yeah, I'm with that one. Yeah, I can probably get my dad to watch it. He would watch it with me. So. Yeah, I probably at least have somebody, but definitely not my wife. All right. Least favorite Christmas movie. Okay, my least
1: favorite Christmas movie is the one where the um, girl comes back to her hometown and she's in a relationship with her boyfriend who's like (laughs) back in the city and she's back in the country. But then she gets back home and then she ends up uh, catching back up with an old boyfriend who suddenly, you know, is available and uh they end up falling in love (laughs) she doesn't overtly cheat on him uh her boyfriend but she ends up breaking up with him in a very slow melodramatic way by building other guys hopes up and then she eventually ends up with him and it's literally every hallmark christmas movie so
0: you just obliterated the entire hallmark christmas movie (laughs) catalog (laughs) there's that old joke uh yeah, if there's one thing you can learn from Hallmark movies is never let your girlfriend go home for Christmas. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, the other the thing about we we talked about Christmas movies that the rest of our family doesn't like that that we like mm-hmm. the Hallmark movies are movies that my wife likes that mm-hmm. I don't like
0: so. So, uh, Jess is currently watching. I think it's something like Noel or something on Netflix, which she described as like very Hallmark Christmas movie ish. Mm. not typically her genre um my mom is hardcore into the hallmark christmas movies that is like that's her jam (laughs) for sure um i'm gonna have to go with white christmas um because it is interminable (laughs) it is so long and it's so like I just, I cannot stand it.
1: I can say that I've the had the great fortune of never having to watch it. So it's,
0: I've, I've only watched it once and I was scarred by it. And I'm just like, <laughs> sorry, like I am, I, I will admit that I don't like old movies um, largely because of the dialogue and the pacing. Um, it's, it, it's a style of movie that I don't like and this one like exemplifies. It's just like, Oh my goodness. It is so slow. So yeah.
1: I, uh, I have one coworker who, the song from that movie, Snow, mm. all I want is snow or whatever, is yeah. like favorite Christmas song ever. And every time it comes on the radio and on our playlist at work, she just like, oh. but <laughs> eyes and
0: rolls her eyes. <laughs> right. Yeah, we could go, we could go for hours on bad Christmas songs. Man, there are so many of those. Oh man, maybe we'll do that in another podcast. This
1: is not a Christmas song podcast.
0: This is not a Christmas song podcast, and we're all thankful for that. All right, your current favorite Christmas movie, because I know sometimes these change over time. What is your current favorite Christmas movie?
1: So I like a lot of Christmas movies. Mm. Um, a couple that I've seen recently that I really liked that I don't think a lot of people know about. On uh, There was a Disney release that came out a couple years ago called The Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Mm. I thought it was really good. It's like a high fantasy kind of Christmas type movie. Um, Kira Knightley, I believe stars in that. Um, there's was also, um, I don't know. It wasn't her. It was, uh, I think the girl from Alice in Wonderland, whose name I can't remember now.
0: Mm,
1: I'm not thinking about it either. Um, but anyway, uh, also recently on very recently, Apple TV plus uh, released a movie called spirited uh, with Will Ferrell and, uh, um I blanking on this now. I just watched it last night. Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. Mm. And it's a musical and it's very funny. Um, okay. I wasn't you sure like,
0: about that based on the trailers.
1: Yeah. If you like musicals, I would highly recommend you watch the music, is good. It's funny. It also has Tracy Morgan in it. Mm-hmm. Um, among others. And it's 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 uh, solid. Mm-hmm. Solid. Definitely one I'll be watching probably every year. Um now at this point. Uh, there I think there's all there it seems like there's a trend. There's always at least one or two pretty solid movies that come out around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had to give my favorite, like overarching favorite, I would probably say the Muppet Christmas Carol. Okay. My favorite. Um I, 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 I like lo- I like the Muppets and I really like they they did a really good job of telling a very accurate to the story version of a Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. But still giving it its own unique uh, flair with Muppets. They did the same thing with Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, I just think that people who did the writing for those did a really fantastic job. Mm. And honorable mention again to Jim Carrey to his version of A Christmas Carol, which is probably I would argue the out of the ones I've seen probably has the most terrifying depiction of um, the ghost of Christmas yet to come mm. that I've seen in a movie. And I remember watching it in the theater and hearing like a little five year old kid screaming his head off, and that'd out the <laughs> theater. It was rated PG 13, but the parents were still like, oh, Christmas Carol, let's bring our kids to it. And it wasn't really a kids' movie, but anyway.
0: Um, for me, I go back and forth on this one. I'll have to, I currently have to land on Elf. Um, I just really, really love the movie. I've gone through periods of time where I was like, eh, like I'll watch it. But if I, if I don't watch it, it's not that big a deal. Um, Home Alone is always, always, always a favorite. Um, But since I've already talked about Home Alone, I will say Elf for this one. Um, They're always right neck and neck for me on, on which one I'm actually liking better at the moment. Um, Like Home Alone speaks to the nostalgia aspect of it and and i love that style of film and and elf is just it's so well done and so yeah we'll go with elf on that one um and the last one which may or may not be the same as some of the other ones you've you've uh, talked about but current favorite to watch as a family
1: um so that would actually probably be and this is based on the rest of my family not really me mm-hmm. uh, there's been a lot of Grinchness. Uh, listen uh, another one the uh benedict cumberbatch animated version that just came out is probably my i would say it's probably my kid's favorite christmas movie at least it was last year okay so i'm just kind of going off that because we haven't really watched a lot of christmas stuff yet this year so i think benedict cumberbatch is the grinch which is my probably least favorite version of the grinch hmm. i've seen but they really like yeah I, I didn't think it was terrible i just i think the other ones are better
0: yeah yeah, I would have to probably go Elf with this one too. I think it's the one that both myself and my wife like the best that we have in common. Um, so that's always fun to watch. Um, in the past year or two, we've watched it where we put up our Christmas tree. So it's almost mini tradition um, when we've done that. So um, yeah, that's been fun. So I would say probably Elf fits into this category as well all right well that is our christmas movie preview for you and we'll probably have more christmas movie content coming in upcoming weeks along with uh other christmas discussions as well uh so now let's move on to our watch list as we'll start our watch list tonight with uh glass onion both of us got a chance to see glass onion in theaters uh so we're gonna break that down for you a little bit uh, we'll start out like we do with movies of this nature, and we'll just give you the basic spoiler-free thoughts on our, in the movie. And then we'll get into, we have a spoiler warning, we'll get into the breakdown of what we thought about it specifically. All right, Rob, um, general thoughts on Glass Onion.
1: So my main thought is that if you would have told me when Casino Royale came out, after I just watched Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, that also in the future he would someday be playing um, a Southern Hick lawyer and it would be like another, like he would make, it would be like his character. Like you would see him as that character. Uh, I don't probably would not have believed you, Um okay. but he has, he has done it. Like he is Benoit Blanc mm-hmm. as to me, uh, as much as he has changed bond. And to, to say that is, I think that's uh, a really uh, phenomenal compliment to an actor that I can say that I believe I thoroughly believe him as both those characters
0: with how different they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's not like you're changing up his, like you're not necessarily changing up his whole persona as much. Like, like it's his look is not dramatically different. It's it's just his acting, his mannerisms, all those type of things get you into that character. So yeah, the character, of uh, Benoit Blanc, continues to uh, be one that is interesting, one that fascinates, and um, one that is absolutely worthy of doing. Um, I think with the movie itself, I think the question when you go from a great solo movie to now starting to make multiple ones is is there enough content here as the idea are the ideas fresh enough and will the second one be any good and i think i think you can say that um for me this movie met those criteria that it was definitely a movie worth seeing and definitely something that makes you say there's more there's more here There's more for this character to do. There's more for, um, I want to continue seeing this character, uh, go forward. And, um, the story itself was not, um, a cliched story that just basically follows the same tropes and patterns of the first movie and not making the same jokes and the same, you know, and the same callbacks all the time, uh, like you see in, in some sequels.
1: I think we've talked about, um, you know waiting for that first really good netflix produced movie mm-hmm. and i don't know if you can since this was in the theater for a week i kind of give it a pass as far as like being a theatrical release like i would still consider this i think a netflix movie mm. and if that's the case i think this is the movie we've been waiting for i think this is a theatrical release quality movie yeah um, it did not feel like a made-for-TV movie. It felt yeah. like a movie movie. Yeah. And I think that's what they've been striving um, to accomplish. And I think they accomplished it with this.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, the ensemble cast all all left their own individual mark on, on the movie. Um, that's one thing you want to see if you're going to have a big ensemble cast. Um, do they... Do they rise to the occasion? Do they create something interesting? Is there some personality or persona to each of the characters? And there is. And that speaks to the writing and the acting on the part of the secondary characters.
1: Yeah, you're looking for a reason for each person to be in the movie, if they're in the movie. And uh, this movie accomplishes that. Uh, I agree
0: yeah and and with any murder mystery are you intrigued with the story do you like the direction the story takes and i would say that in general i did on this one mm-hmm. okay so that is our uh first look at glass onion if you don't want to hear any spoilers to this movie you may uh skip ahead in the notes you can see how far you have to skip ahead to you get to the rest of the episode and now we will get into specifics with Glass Onion and spoilers. All right, Rob, um, what was your highlight?
1: So I, I the highlight for me was uh, probably the writing in the movie and the way that they took you to a certain point and then kind of rewound all the way back to the beginning and went back to the same point again, mm-hmm. but entirely different perspective. And what was cool about it for me was that as they were going through it the first time there were clues about what was happening behind the scenes throughout that, that moments that kind of made you go, Oh, I just heard someone like in the bushes there, or I saw someone out of the corner there, what's going on. And then they went back and explained all of that. Yeah. I thought they did a pretty masterful job with that. And I thought it really lined up with the idea of to go back to, you know, the classic Shrek Mm -hmm. onion layers. Mm-hmm. I thought that this movie had pretty significant layering. Yeah. So came to the characters' motives, their actions, um and what they were all doing at different points throughout. Mm-hmm. Um in particular the when we get the reveal of what's actually going on with Chanel Monet's character. Yeah. I thought that was a huge thing and it completely changes the story like halfway through about yeah. what's Happening with everything, and it made a lot of things that happened earlier in the movie make a lot more sense. Like immediately, like where mm-hmm. um, character was surprised that she showed up. Yeah, like was you know all of a sudden you are like, oh, well that makes sense now. Why he would be surprised by that? I I really thought, um, like I said, I the star of this movie to me, uh, I, other than Daniel Craig's performances, Blanc was the writing because. Mm-hmm there's a big reveal near the end about how Edward Norton's character is actually an idiot.
0: Yeah.
1: And in that scene, they like flash back to a whole bunch of scenes where he said stuff. I don't know about you, but it kind of made me like question my observational skills and how do I react to people who act like they're smart? Because <laughs> I didn't catch the stupid things he was saying when he was saying them. I just kind of brushed them off as like, Oh, he's just eccentric. Like mm-hmm. he's just speaking in buzzwords or whatever. But the, the whole thing was nothing he was saying made any sense.
0: Yeah.
1: And when they finally pointed out, I was like, Oh, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the way they were able to write that in. And I think make it vague enough that it might not have been supremely obvious as it was happening. I thought it was very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, especially how they used it in the reveal later.
0: Yeah. I think anytime you use a plot device like that, one, I didn't, I did not anticipate when we got to that point that that was the direction the story would take. Um, there was not anything that said, this is how we're going to, this is how we're going to resolve the storyline. Um, so that was cool. Cause that was a twist. But then the question is when you, when you go back and you go back in time and re-explain everything, you want to do it in such a way that it doesn't make your watching experience up to that point feel wasted. That's it, it has to feel enhanced. It can't feel wasted because you feel like, well, I just wasted the first half of this movie. And now the second half is where it makes sense. Then that's going to hurt the movie. Um, and that's not what happened in this movie it actually does it enhances your viewing you go back in your mind say oh so that when this was happening this um so it provides larger clarity and greater reveal to the story without feeling like it cheapens it when you watched it the first time and that's hard to do um Mm -hmm. and i think they pulled that off really well um so, yeah, yeah, that was, I agree that the writing, the writing was heavily in that. Um, you could definitely see like kind of the Netflix style where they're poking fun at things. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it had a little bit of don't look up type um, humor slash storyline slash, you know, like there's there a sense in which they're poking fun at a lot of cultural things um, at the same time. Uh, which is both a Netflix thing and something that did happen in the Ryan Johnson written first one. Mm. So it wasn't completely out of character, but it very clear you could see a little bit of a Netflix spin on this um, from that angle. Um,
1: I love the storyline that of Kate Hudson's character on <laughs> Athletics wear combination. She has that in real life.
0: Yeah, and yeah, that was a great twist.
1: I think the funniest line in the whole movie was. When they're like, you didn't actually think sweatshops were a place where they made sweatpants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah, it was good to see Kate Hudson. She hasn't been uh, in too much lately. Um, Yeah, what did you make of the actors, uh, the supporting actors on this one? Uh,
1: I, I came into the movie liking all of them for different things I've seen them in um, Leslie Odom all the way back to um, Hamilton mm. uh, and seeing him beginning to do different things is really a uh, fun thing to see um, I I really like the more and more I see him in the more I am convinced that Dave Bautista is probably going to go down as the best actual actor who was ever wrestler
0: which is um, interesting
1: He has incredible range he actually Um, does (laughs) the difference between this character and who he played in like blade runner 2049 Mm -hmm. is just like he's he's a really good actor and i don't i i i wonder like it's fat it's it's really it's fascinating to me because i think if you didn't have the success of dwayne johnson commercially (laughs) Like he, pro- Dave Bautista probably would never gotten a chance mm-hmm. to, from wrestling to acting. But in my opinion, I think he's a better actor than Dwayne Johnson is.
0: I think you're right on that front. And who's the other? Um, oh, who's the other wrestler who made a few films but really never took off? has uh, done a couple things. What was that? John Cena. John Cena. Yes, that's who I'm referring to. Yeah. See. You can't just drop anybody in there to do that. They tried with John Cena, and it didn't really work that well. Um, with Dave Bautista, it did because he actually can act. And I think you're right. Like there is no Dave Bautista without Rock, but Dave Bautista is actually a better actor. But he's never going to be as commercially successful because you're not going to you're not going to build a film around Dave Bautista at least at this point. But he will enhance whatever film he happens to be in.
1: Yeah, I thought he was excellent in this movie. Yeah. Um, I really, I, there wasn't anyone who I didn't think did a great job mm-hmm. in the movie. I, uh, Edward Norton is one of my favorite actors.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And I think he played the, the idiot perfectly in this movie. <laughs> it was very, very believable that he was a guy who, um, thought he was much smarter than he actually was. And, uh, you know, was real like, he, he played the, the person who is reactionary and hurt and offended that people are calling him dumb, really well, I felt. Um, but he's he's just he's a phenomenal actor. Um, sure. There's one of my favorites. So,
0: yeah, for sure,
1: see him again, something.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and I love the way Benoit Blanc, the way that character portrayed, because you see him going through the first time. And he kind of seems like a fish out of water and he's just kind of there and he's along for the ride. And then when you go back through after the, the script flipped, and you see, no, Oh no, he actually is in control the whole time, which is really fascinating. And because you get the sense from the first movie about how in control he was, and you see him in this, in this movie, and he's kind of out of his element, out of control. And you're like, Oh, interesting. This is a different take on the character. And then when the rewind occurs, you're like, oh, no, no, he was in control the whole time.
1: I'm just glad to see that he got his iPad. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got to say, it does bother me that I, I know why they did it, and it works from a story perspective, but you don't barbecue the Mona Lisa to make a point. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't barbecue the Mona Lisa to make a point. Sorry, no, no.
1: <laughs> Thankfully, unlike the guitar breaking incident on the side of the Hateful Eight, I'm yes. pretty sure it wasn't the actual Mona Lisa this time.
0: Correct. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Correct. Yes.
1: Uh huh. We give we give a shout out, shout out to Daryl, who's who's not not actually here, um. But you know, I I I don't know what the purpose of that character was. <laughs> other- uh, have a cigar with Benoit Blanc at the end as you watch the building burn down but <laughs> it's hilarious I just randomly kept on showing up I'm not uh, I, like, I like when she was ransacking the rooms and she just walked into his room and he's like wanna hang out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that was that was a great little side add on that really didn't matter but was always funny whenever it came up
1: then the the dong, the hourly dong oh yeah yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Uh anything else you want to say about this one?
1: Uh I would just uh finish by saying I think people should take the time to watch it when it comes out on Netflix uh in That's... a few weeks because it'll definitely be worth your time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully the success that this had in the box office will persuade Netflix to put more of their movies in theaters for a full run. All right. Uh Rob, what else you watch this week? Um, I also watched so this was two weeks
1: ago, because we didn't record last week with Thanksgiving, um, I watched The Menu um, mm. with Vines, um and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, and it was really, really good. Um, if you are into suspense slash slightly veering into horror kind of stories, um, you'll like this. It definitely, uh, about halfway through, it takes a major twist that changes everything that's going on Makes you realize, oh, this isn't what I thought was happening, and now I'm a little. It kind of it kind of uh, throws the hinges off and makes anything possible um, from that point on. And uh, Fines is a, again much the way I feel about Edward Norton. I think Ray Fines is just a phenomenal actor, and he is excellent in this movie. Awesome. Um, so the menu, I would highly recommend. Cool.
0: Um, I also watched uh Kingdom of Heaven, which is one I had recommended on Amazon Prime. What I didn't realize when I recommended it and wrote it up was they actually have both the theatrical release and the director's cut oh. on Amazon Prime. And I highly recommend the director's cut um because it changes the c- the core motivations of several of the characters and enhances them in a much greater way that you that you didn't get in the original film even though i really like the original film um changes uh, you get much more background and motivation on balian's character played by orlando bloom and the major motivational change is um in the character of Lu- um now i'm blanking out on her name all of a sudden um lucilla no that's not right that's not right. Okay, I will, I will look it up here. But uh, the main female character in that one, um, her motivation, her entire motivation changes. Um, and uh, Sybilla, I, I was like, I knew it was something close. Sybilla the character played by Ava Green. Um, her entire motivation for what she does and why changes dramatically in the director's cut she is much more selfish and self-centered in the, in the film that released in theaters than she is in real in, in the movie and the director's cut. And so that whole character arc, I can see why they, the, the studio wanted it cut because it does create a little sense of redundancy. Uh, but it's, it was quite good. Awesome. Okay. Well, that is the show, everyone. Thank you for checking out filmfans.com and Uh, Make sure you visit the website, uh, share the podcast with your friends, and go out and watch some great Christmas movies. Until next time, enjoy the movies.